Welcome to another episode of SharkBites.net, where we delve into issues of tech leadership in the public sector. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to SharkBites.net. Here now is our host, Dr. Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute, now a division of Fusion Learning Partners. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of SharkBytes.net as we continue with uh, season four. So at the conclusion of last year, in particular on December 14th in St. Paul, Minnesota, PTI and Fusion Learning Partners held its annual symposium. It was extremely well attended, and I was honored to be the uh, moderator for the closing session. We call it Navigating IT in 2024, a roadmap from state, county, and city perspectives. It was such a well-received panel presentation that we thought it would make sense to share that with you, especially for those who are unable to make it, because there's many insights, many things to consider and ponder as we begin the new year. So joining me is Jamie Wasulis, who is the Chief Information Officer of the City of St. Paul, Minnesota, John Eichten, who is Deputy Commissioner of Minnesota uh, IT. Barry Condry, former Chief Information Officer of Chesterfield County in Virginia. And Sean Riley, former CIO for the state of North Dakota and co-founder of BizBlocks, someone who's been around and is a true, true thought leader. In fact, all the panelists are thought leaders. So bear with me as we take you back in time to go into the future. Hey, cool. So how do you end a fantastic conference like this? And that was really the challenge. And we could say goodbye, this has been great. That reminds me of an ethics class once where I was uh, saying, we all know ethics, don't we? And everybody nodded their head. I said, why don't we just get up and leave? And they stood up and I said, gotcha. So we have to stay. Um, we thought about it and we realized that while this conference comes to an end, the most important thing moving forward is we get a sense of what we can expect. So as we leave here, go home, enjoy the holidays and everything, our task before us is kind of brainstorm together and figure out what do we think the future holds for us. 2024 is gonna be a very challenging year and I'll be interested to hear what you all think. But nothing else, we have an election, a presidential election. It's gonna consume a lot of our time and some of us probably would like to hibernate from all the advertisements that we're gonna be bombarded with that's already probably started. There's gonna be a lot of challenges in 2024. So what we thought we would do is kind of share with you collectively and individually what we think the future holds. And hopefully there's some time, maybe we could ask you to kind of weigh in what you think, add a vote to what you hear and say yes, or maybe we've left something out. So you can see by the side there that we've made one change um, and we have Barry Condry and I'm go through uh, our panel. First we have uh, Jamie Wasulis, who's a CIO for uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. We have John Ecton, who is a deputy uh, commissioner uh, of Minute. 
And we have Barry Condry filling in for Adam, who couldn't make it because of scheduling issue. He's a former CIO of Chesterfield County, Virginia. He's been there for many, many years. He's now in the consulting world, and he's on our leadership board at PTI. And you all know Sean Riley, former CIO for the state of North, North Dakota and co-founder of Bilox. So with that, I'm going to turn to Jamie and say, Jamie, welcome. I've asked each to kind of share their top five things, and we can be creative. Sean, you have it easy. It's always easier to be in the end there and say, hmm, I'll change that at the last second. <laughs> You've got the most difficult challenge, and that is, and we were talking about this, it can be done one or, way, one or more ways. One is what you see is going to change or what you'd like to see is change, and they may be different. So your thoughts. All right, thank you so much. Um, hi, everybody. Nice to be here. Thanks for uh, sticking with us as we're ending the conference. Um, I'm going to just uh, focus, I think, more on, you know, uh, connection, which is a big part of why we're here, to connect together, to connect via technology. Um, connection and collaboration. Um, and talk about like the five things that I think will be happening in 2024, or I hope are going to be happening, or I inspire you um, to, to, to help us make happen. Um, so first up, um, cybersecurity. That's that's going to happen, right? Like we, <laughs> we're, we're we're on this 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 moving the swiftly moving train. Um, really excited though about the work that is coming through uh, Minute um, uh, through the um, state and local cybersecurity grant program um, to to help us. You know, I'm, I come from a larger municipality, um, and we do have uh, uh, some resources to help secure um, our our city. But um, I know that there are many of you here from counties and cities from across the state um, who need that vital help. So I'm really excited about that collaboration with Minute to see how we can strengthen cybersecurity together um, across our state. Uh, also, I have to mention, of course, AI, because that is a huge theme right now for us. Um, you know, I am really excited about us continuing to explore together um, the solutions that are going to make our government services more effective, more impactful, more accessible. Some other things that I know are happening, I know at the state you have the Taiga uh, group that's working together to, to help uh, the state kind of navigate where we're going with AI. There are some national movements happening. There's some national groups that are coming together specifically to spoke, focus on public sector um, and, and finding impactful AI. I belong to a group, it's called the GovAI Coalition. It's based out of San Jose, California. And what we're really trying to do is focus on how can we collaborate to help create policy, use cases, um, work with vendors, things like that, so that we have a lot of the recipe already put together for everybody so you can find out where, where are the best use cases for public sector, where can I make an impact. Uh, moving away a little bit from specific technologies, um, I, I really think I, and hope that uh, 2024 sees a continuing of uh, the de-siloization of technology, whether that's the different silos of technology that we have in our organizations or the siloing that we have across our departments and divisions. Um, we really need to do this all together. Uh, technology, all of our technologies are becoming so much more interconnected and we, we really need to see that holistic picture of how can we secure um, advanced technologies together and that's a, a huge hope um, uh, of mine. A big thing that I've gotten from this conference that I hope and 
it, I will make sure it happens in 2024, is just local tech collaboration. I've met some amazing people from across the state. Um, Amy um, from up north near Little Falls, um, so, uh, the, the city manager from Elk River. Um, and it's really about just collaborating and, and getting to know each other better, getting to know um, our, our opportunities, our hurdles, and helping one another. I think together we can, we, we can be more powerful, we can support one another. Um, and then finally, my last one um, is, 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 is a big one, and it is a, a hope and a dream and something that I'm really going to be focused on as well, is increasing um, representation from underrepresented groups in technology. Um, whether that's um, internship programs that we're working on in the city of St. Paul, there's some great programs um, you know, in the local Twin Cities area that, that take our city youth who might not have exposure to technology, bring them in, get them some exposure, uh, and then turn some of those into internships. Um, you know, additionally, just um, uh, in panels like this, I would love to see um, more representation, and we're working toward that, and I'd like to, to make a bigger effort there. I'm still here in technology because of the wonderful diversity of people I've been able to work with, um, and uh, they've supported me. They keep me going forward, and I want to do the same. We have so many amazing people here in Minnesota many who are in tech who might not be up here but are leaders in their own right and we need to amplify their voices and bring them forward. Um, so really for me it's about the spirit of collaboration and connection and I'm really excited about 2024 and to see y'all in a year. Great, thank you, you Jamie. John. Thank you Alan and thank you Jamie. I'm gonna uh, likely echo a few things that you said and you know in Alan's prompt to us he asked us to think about uh, maybe some predictions for 2024, and as well as some things that maybe we're, we're concerned about um, that may be coming down the pike here in the next calendar year. And so I, I, when I put my thoughts together, I thought in those two buckets, and uh, I would say the first sort of prediction I have is I, I think there's gonna be a, a continued growing interest uh, from our employees, from technologists to reconnect after a lot of the isolation that occurred during the pandemic. Um, we've all sort of gotten into our groove uh, throughout the pandemic response in terms of how we work and we've been very productive, uh, but I see uh, a growing demand for, for that kind of reconnection. Uh, I don't think, you know, forcing anyone back in, into an office um, with some arbitrary, you know, you know, number of days a week is, is uh, the best approach, but I think we have a responsibility as leaders to create those opportunities for people uh, to come together and, and have the, enjoy that sense of belonging uh, and, and connectedness and build some trust. Uh, I think it, it's so much easier to assume you know, bad in, intent in another person when they're uh, on the other side of a screen or maybe they're not even on the screen, you're just hearing a voice. There's so much communication that occurs that is nonverbal. Um, and, and there's also just the natural way that we interact with each other that, that when we are together and, and in person can be so much more efficient and effective. Um, so I know we are, like a lot of other organizations, uh, rethinking, downsizing our space, but rethinking how we're gonna use it to really promote that kind of collaboration, invest in, in hybrid technology, um, so our employees can enjoy the flexibility that they've uh, found during the pandemic, but that we also are creating opportunities for them to come together, whether that's to learn or to celebrate, uh, to plan or to really dig in on a challenging issue uh, where being in person really makes a difference and helps folks coalesce around a path forward. Uh, one of the concerns I would say that I have uh, about the next year is just 
what roadblocks, uh, what barriers might be uh, put in place to, for us to be able to leverage some of the generative AI tools that are emerging now. Um, obviously, the potential for those tools to improve how we deliver services to citizens is huge. But there's also a real potential for, you know, whether that's a legislative body, uh, whether that is sort of uh, disinformation, misinformation that gets out there about how we're planning to use the tools or how we are using those tools, uh, or whether it's even our own people, right, internally, our, the, the compliance folks, the legal folks, who may uh, just out of a risk aversion uh, put up some roadblocks to, to the use of those tools. And so I think it's really important that we uh, turn up the dial in terms of our transparency about how we plan to use those kind of tools. I, uh, I'm really happy that we have the Technology Advisory Council here in the state of Minnesota where we have a venue to have these discussions that includes people inside of government, outside of government, uh, county, city, uh, labor. Those types of venues are, are where I think we need to have these conversations out in the public so that we can bring folks along and ultimately strike that appropriate balance uh, in terms of responsible use of AI. Uh, and also overcoming you know, the tendency to risk aversion that exists in government uh, so we can really deliver for people. I would, let me check my notes here. I, my third prediction, let's see, ah, and Jamie mentioned it, increased collaboration and cooperation between state and local government. Uh, and Jamie mentioned the state and local cybersecurity grant program. It's great to see hundreds of counties, cities, and school districts as well. Uh, expressing interest in, in participating in that program and many of them signing up for the endpoint detection and response services that we rolled out using those federal funds. Uh, I, I am excited to see how that whole of state approach to cyber is going to be enhanced and grow in the years to come uh, and in 2024 in particular. The threat is so great, the resources are limited, we all know it. Uh, we have to be in this fight together. Uh, or we're really working uh, with a disadvantage and, uh, and with the evolution of the threat and the, and the, the growing nature of the threat, uh, we, we just can't go at it alone. I will give you another concern that I have, which is uh, for those of you who are from Minnesota, I think you're well aware there's, you know, the state is taking on some big, big things over the next few years in terms of new programs, new agencies, things being stood up. Uh, for the first time, and you know, I, I have concerns around just our ability to recruit um, new new folks, new talent to the state, and our ability uh, to just manage through that wave of retirements that are coming. We have at the state, um, you know, a good goodly number of our staff who are approaching retirement age, and that is just a challenge that we've got to take on. And, and you know, where we can't recruit new talent, we need to grow the talent from within. We need to invest in training. Uh, and upskilling, and we also need to be willing to, uh, you know, have the conversation with our business partners around, hey, we need to bring in some folks who are earlier in their career, who may not walk in day one and be as productive as someone who's 20 years into their career, but we need to uh, bring them in uh, and help grow them, because it's, it's really those committed public servants who are with us for a long time uh, that help make the wheels of government turn, uh, and we need to grow that next generation. I will, lastly, I'll give you one more, uh, this one's kind of a prediction and a concern, which is I think the terms, uh, the term artificial intelligence is going to become 
even more ubiquitous and even more ambiguous than it, than it all already is. Um, I sometimes think it's becoming like the terms organic or natural uh, in the food world where it, 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 you kind of have a marketing group that, that will slap it on anything. And, and I get that. I mean, it's a hot topic. Every time I open up the New York Times app, I'm always surprised to see AI, some article above the fold. Uh, I'm sure they're going to make a movie about the boardroom drama at OpenAI pretty soon. I would probably pull for Michael Sarah. I think he would be a good lead to play uh, <laughs> Sam Altman. He's got that tech nerd kind of look to him. Uh, but, you know, I, while it's understandable, I think we also need to put a lot of work over the next year into really illuminating and, and being more explicit about the language that we use in the AI world, language matters. We need to uh, help bring along our policymakers and the public uh, so that you know, there isn't irrational fear on one hand or you know, on the other hand, hyperinflated expectations about what these tools are, are going to enable for us. Uh, that is, there's, there's a really important balance to be struck and, and how we start this conversation really matters. So I, I'm happy to see, at least in this state, uh, our legislature taking a strong interest in the topic uh, and engaging with us here ahead of the next legislative session to really understand where they can be helpful and where they um, need to tread carefully. So. Great, thank you. So Barry, I want to thank you for filling in for Adam, but we did a good cut and paste job. Uh, <laughs> Looks great. A little, little crude, but it worked. So Barry, your perspective. Thank you, Alan. So first thing I need to do is pay homage to a couple of people that I went to to prepare for this, being in a late edition. I didn't have a great deal of time to prepare for it. So I talked to Heather Benoit, who is the Executive Vice President of Strategic Foresight, working for the Alliance for Innovation in collaboration with Strategic Government Resources. That's a, that's a mouthful, but that's probably the best job title I have ever heard, right? Uh, Executive Vice President of Strategic Foresight. I also talked to Adam, who was going to be in this chair, and got his list, and I sort of combined the list, and I added a few things myself. The only issue with this, um, Alan, was really leaving it to five, because I had about a dozen things I wanted to talk about. But the first thing I wanted to talk about, my, my, my number one thing coming up for the next year, and all of my predictions are concerns. Unfortunately, this is going to be a little darker side. You know, maybe I'll have. That's why we have Sean at the end, track. so we're going to pick things up. Um, yeah, when we get to Sean. That'll be even darker, probably. But so, uh, all of mine are concerns. But the first is the crisis of trust that we have in this country. Uh, trust in government, I don't think, has ever been lower. Um, this is not strictly a technology play, but we're all government employees here, and we're all responsible for building a culture of trust with our residents. Um, consider the forces of the presidential election coming up. Last presidential election, you may recall, we had the whole Russian collusion issue. Um, we had, our, our electorate has never been more polarized, and trust has never been lower in government. Do the voters actually trust government enough to run elections? I think is a really good question from what we saw in the last election. Uh, this will erode further in 2024 in 2024, and I think it's a call to action for government leaders to be especially on guard about this. Um, what's real and what can be trusted? You know, AI models can produce unprecedented amounts of false information, okay? So how do we, how do we well, what's to be trusted? Um, we can expect greater development of and interest in 
technologies that can authenticate and verify information. Okay, so this is sort of like the, you know, one, tech, one technology solving another technology. And we just need to weather this presidential election storm. And hope is that AI will help us differentiate the truth from manufactured information moving forward. So we can look forward to that in the coming year. The second thing I had was my AI list. And I've got about, I've got about six things on my AI list, but I'm only gonna mention two real quick. One is AI disenchantment. Okay, so according to Gartner, uh, generative AI is at the peak of its hype cycle right now. If you're familiar with the Gartner hype cycle, you go from the peak of, of the hype to the trough of disillusionment before you bounce back up to where it's actually used and there's a long tail, right? So 2024 will find this, the trough of disillusionment, according to Gartner, and we will, we will become disenfranchised from generative AI and, um, and um, disenchanted with it. This is at the same time that it's being built into everything that we use in our, in our, in our, in our lives, everything from our email to our searching to the way we unlock our cars. It's, it's all gonna be AI enabled over the course of the next year, but we'll be disenfranchised from things like ChatGPT and, and, and BARD. The other thing I'll mention about uh, AI is the growth of avatars, synthetic people, personal AI assistants. These will all become commonplace in 2024. I'm thinking about you know, buying my own um, assistant to do things. Uh, we're seeing the rise of synthetic people in, in the world. Uh, the first synthetic CEO was hired by a board mm -hmm. in 2023. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a full AI person. She can work 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. She doesn't need a salary. And uh, she's the CEO of this beverage, of this beverage company. Um, there, we've already seen the AI-generated news channel called Channel One, which is in production now, including all of the anchors, and they're all, um, gen they're all AI. Um, and these are all AI employees that are uh, anthropized, uh, human-looking faces and human-sounding names. This, this will be a big one. I'm gonna leave the rest of the AI uh, to Sean, probably, because then you probably <laughs> got some AI things to talk about. My number three thing is the workforce. Okay, we talked about the workforce was mentioned down here. While it's not a technology trend per se, we can't ignore that there are forces at play with the workforce that we are not equipped to deal with. The great reset, the great realignment, the great resignation, retirement, whatever you want to call it, is putting a lot of pressure on government to establish a new social contract with people coming into government. That's really difficult for government to do because we've been working with the same social contract for about 100 years now with government employees. When the economy approves, this is more of a 2025 prediction, I think what's gonna happen when the economy approves is all the retirees, people who are retirement eligible now, who are still sitting in their jobs because everything is so expensive, they don't wanna retire now, they're all gonna go out in droves. I think we're gonna see a mass retirement like we've never seen before when the economy improves, improves probably a 2025 post-presidential election. Number four. Cybersecurity and the illusion of privacy. Okay, so privacy has never been more on life support in this country than it is uh, today. I think in 2024, we're gonna see some stunning um, developments here. And, and what kind of IT consultant would I be if I didn't bring up cybersecurity, right, Alan? So um, we're gonna expect to see more of the same in terms of cyber threats, more threats, more mismatches between funding and uh, between funding sources and needs and more leadership opportunities to fund these protections. Uh, the point is that this one is not going to change, okay? Cyber's not going away. 
It's not going to get easier. It's only going to get harder. Um, in 2024, we're going to see unprecedented reductions in our privacy, and we will be okay with that. You will be okay with that because those conveniences are how you lead your life right now. Uh, the, it's going to be a trade-off between your privacy and these conveniences. Um, and why is that? Well, let's face it. You're worth a lot of money. You, every one of you has been monetized by big tech, and they all have your information, and that's worth a lot of money to them. And that's only going to get wor worse because we are now conditioned as the um, Amazon generation, right, that we have to, we can't live without these, these conveniences. Oh, and by the way, hacking is still a very lucrative profession for the bad guys. And as long as they're making money at it, they will continue doing it and they will continue to evolve and find new ways of, of, of gaining money. So look for that too. Look for, look for that situation to only get worse. And my number five is technology debt. Okay, the amount of technology debt in this country is surpassed only by our financial debt. The feds still use COBOL to deliver essential services you know, in, at the federal level. I get pinged weekly by recruiters asking if I, if I have COBOL skills. I think it's because they saw that I retired, they know how old I am, they know all of this about me because I have no privacy, right? And they keep at they say, you know, that guy probably knows COBOL. He's got to know COBOL, right? And I'm almost a little affronted by that. Don't tell anybody, but I do know COBOL, absolutely. So, but please don't tell the recruiters there's, that. There's a support group for that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a recovering COBOL programmer. It's the truth. Radar systems that land our planes, Alan, we'll be flying later. These radar systems that land our planes are 40 years old. Um, you know, 2024 will be the year when tech debt costs lives and brings this into sharper focus. And we have to find better ways of dealing with this than just throwing money at it. Because the temptation is we'll just throw a million dollars at that, we'll throw $10 million at that, and we have to find a better way of approaching these problems, new ways of looking at the technology modernization stuff that we, that we all struggle with. So in 2024, we can look for increased marketing of no-code, low-code platforms, software as a service, platform as a service, everything as a service to, to help overcome some of this uh, technology debt that the country has has racked up. So, Alan, that's my uplifting five things. For I am so depressed. <laughs> we should, to, to uh, that's it. No. Sean, awesome. you've heard a so, lot, so you have the advantage it, of, it, of now adding or subtracting here. It is amazing to go last because all of you have given me an amazing amount of things to work with here. So, I'm I'm going to just kind of poke on a few of these things and maybe emphasize. So when we talk about AI, I, I disagree a little bit with Gartner right now that we're on the top of the hype cycle, right? Because has anybody seen the ad, you know, new chocolate chip ice cream now with AI? Because if you haven't seen that ad yet, it's still coming, right? And baby diapers now with AI, right? Those things are still coming because we are this insane in the hype cycle right now. So I don't think we've quite hit the peak yet, but it's coming. And the reality is, is that most folks in the general public and in the IT world still thinks of AI as this um, absolute panacea. They've been uh, conditioned by Hollywood for years and years to believe that once AI finally got here, it would be the answer to all things with the brilliant robot, you know, and the question is, is, is it data or is it lore? They look exactly the same and they act a lot alike, but we don't know which one we're really dealing with. And this is going to be what we're going to figure out in 2024. We're going to have a whole lot of conversations of are we working with Mr. Data or are we working with Lore who's trying to kill us all? 
And from a policy standpoint, this is one of my second item around AI, is that policy is evolving in ways that people have never really ever considered before. Two days ago, Brazil just passed the first national law that was fully written by an artificial intelligence. So we now have a worldwide governmental body that just passed a law that was written by AI. When is that going to become a commonplace? I don't think it's going to be common in 2024, but I guarantee you every single legislature in the country is going to be talking about it. And now legislatures are going to be asking the question, do we allow that? Do we not allow that? Do we ban that? Should we ban that? All of these aspects around policy are going to be evolving in ways we've never considered. How many states today have legal code that specifically states what it means to be a human being? or what it means to love, or what it means to hate. Hate legislation is something we're familiar with, right? Uh, you know, hate crimes is something we're familiar with, but it might be the only emotion that we've ever actually codified. We are about to have to codify emotion because the AI's reflection of who we are is changing law and changing the implications of what's gonna happen in our governments. This is something that I mean, if you want your head to start hurting, if anybody needs some Tylenol, there's a five-gallon pail of it back here. Uh, it takes a huge amount of thought to go through this, but it is going to comprehensively change how we address ourselves through law, how we think about policy, how we implement things like criminal justice. I was in an FBI briefing several weeks ago, and the conversation was, when we have a generative AI bot that builds another bot, and that second bot breaks the law, who do we prosecute? Right. The first bot happened to be open source. So everybody immediately goes, oh, well, let's go prosecute the developer. But the developer actually had no input into the data that that first bot used to be able to create the second bot. And the second bot broke a law that is a felony, but is not actually a harmful felony. It is a codified felony. So who do we prosecute? These are the kind of questions we're going to be asking, and I think humongously impactful starting here in 2024 because Brazil has kicked off this new tidal wave of conversation that will be going to state legislatures, that will be going to the federal, federal Congress, and will just be continuing, continuing the conversation. So a third point for me comes down to this aspect of cybersecurity for AI itself. Now, we like to take cyber over here and AI over here, and if you really look at it, it should be two separate things, right? What is your data protection? What are your control systems? All these things should take AI into consideration. But the way we've been implementing AI around the world today, we're seeing these very strange places where all the data that come into it that we're making decisions on is not my data anymore. It's somebody else's data completely. And I'm making decisions off of somebody else's information, not my information and other places where I'm taking my information and putting that up there and somebody else is using it and I didn't even know I was doing it, right? These considerations are gonna be coming up in a huge way. So we're gonna to have to think about the security of the AI in different ways. It's not only the data itself, but also the algorithms. We've already seen multiple attacks around the world where folks have attempted to change the algorithm to be able to change the impact of the outcome of the AI not based on trying to steal data, but we're trying to change how the AI gives out information so that we're changing someone's direction or someone's decision-making process. 
right? And that decision-making process right now, it's kind of weird because if you've never met me before, you've never seen me before, I come up to you and go, hey, you should invest a million dollars in ABC Consulting. Everybody's gonna look at me like I'm insane. But here's this AI that you've never seen before and you don't know how it gets its data and you don't know how the algorithms work and it tells you to put a million dollars in ABC Consulting. Everybody's like, okay, do I have a million? You know, they're trying to figure it out. It's this weird world where we're trusting automatically the AI because again, we've been conditioned that it's gonna be smarter than us. So we're gonna rethink that. We're gonna rethink that again from a policy standpoint, from a legal standpoint, and from an individual society standpoint. All these things are kind of fun to really help you know, mangle your brain a little bit. A fourth one in here comes to the mental health condition of the world and how that applies to artificial intelligence. There are apps today that are being designed to help people have friends, right? We have a crisis of loneliness in America today. We have a crisis of loneliness across the entire world. I'll use myself as an example. Uh, I walk in a room, usually a huge portion of the room knows me. I'm you know, this famous all over the place, right? Uh, I've got lots of family, got lots of friends, and know lots of people, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I go back to my hotel, and it's freaking lonely. Right? Like, eh, I'm here by myself, it sucks. And if I've got a little AI bot that pops up and goes, hey, Sean, how's it going today? And waves, and it's nice to me, and it's kind, and I start talking to it. And then as I talk to it, it tries to help me, and it tries to become my friend. And then somebody does a software code upgrade, and its personality changes. How do I interact with that, right? This is something that we're gonna see here. And we've seen already an application that came out of Asia that was tested here in America and in Canada, where the app was there for mental health purposes. It was intended to help teenagers to be able to have a, a more uh, calm environment for themselves. And this application, after about four months, started telling the teenagers that the best way to stay sane and stay calm and keep your mental health up is to commit suicide. So the app that was designed by a healthcare organization to help teenagers accidentally got around all the way to stop pain and kill ourselves. That's a real world implication right now that was being used by a healthcare organization here in America. As soon as they figured it out, they pulled the plug. The one in Canada though, they sat back for six days and went, well wait, assisted suicide is legal here. What can we do about this? Right? It took them six days to pull the plug on this application. From a policy standpoint, these things are just insane. So those are four big ones. And I'll give you one that I think, though, is, is more uplifting, more entertaining. And it is this world of autonomy. Right? Autonomy is exploding right now because of AI and its capabilities. And while, on one hand, everybody is scared to death of Terminator versus Robocop in the streets, and, you know, and every time I talk to legislators, I get to hear about what if the robots get rocket launchers and flamethrowers? Uh, that's like, okay, that's cool, but uh, the, re the real world of autonomy, when we're talking about autonomous cars that we're driving around, autonomous farms right now, that exists here in the upper Midwest, right? You can go across the street from Moorhead into North Dakota, and you've got one of the world's first autonomous farms, where we're actually feeding more and more people because of AI, because of the ability to be able to manage machines really, really cool things that are happening today in that space. 
things like mobility. So if you're in a wheelchair environment today, if you're someone who knows or you know that is in a wheelchair, where you can have autonomous systems, the exact same system that you see on a Tesla or even a Toyota Camry today that helps to do auto drive, can be added to your wheelchair to make it so that you can get around easier and you can actually go up and down stairs now. These are amazing things. So while AI definitely is causing everybody havoc and making people have a whole lot of headaches, on the other hand, the future is stupendous. We just have to make sure we don't fall in the hole before we go and find the really cool thing. What a journey. I mean, it really makes you think. I feel the silence in the room as we're processing all of this. Uh, to your uh, point, Sean, I want to share another example. Uh, Estonia, the nation of Estonia, they actually have a traffic court that is run by AI. Mm -hmm. So the normal traffic infractions are being educated, adjudicated uh, by AI. And then, of course, you can appeal to a human judge. 95% are never appealed. They just go with it because it has enough knowledge, and apparently it dishes out a sense of fairness. But it's interesting, the common denominator that I hear here is that we have to be aware that we in technology have to adjust our skill sets and find new people at the same time. And we did a survey and found that 8% wanted more training for themselves and staff on what they, what they should be doing with AI. At the same time, I'm hearing that there's going to be this mass exodus of people. How do we fill it? Good news, opportunity to bring in more diversity bring in more talent than we haven't before. So every one of these issues has two sides of a coin. And we shall see how this really plays out. I just want to add one thing, and then I want to ask a few questions. To me, if I was asked one thing, and I'm coming back to you, ask your one thing, would be I think 2024 will be the year, hype or not, that we're going to look at AI very differently than any other technology we've ever looked at before. And that is, we've always been told, up to this point, technology is a bunch of tools getting more sophisticated. For the first time, I'm seeing it now, I think technology would be looked upon as our partners in everything that we do, whether it be coaching, getting advice, getting information. Maybe in five years, that could change into something very different. But I'm comfortable with perhaps sharing. And of course, sharing belies that doesn't mean equality. It means partnership where we're still in charge. So as we enter 2024, I'm excited by the fact we have this possibility. I'm excited by the fact that technology is so far behind the lawyers. No offense to anybody who's an attorney here, but I've never seen a group, a profession, so far behind the technology. And there's such uncertainty about how to do all this. So what is your number one? Let's go back to you, Sean. I mean, you've heard this. You've, you have both a dark and a very bright outlook on things. What would be your number one thing that you see happening in 2024? So in, in 2024, policy is going to come from everywhere. That is uh, just an unavoidable fact. We're gonna see policy coming from everywhere, everyone trying to control AI through legal proceedings. I wish them luck, I really do. And, and I help legislators do this, and I still wish them luck, uh, because the reality is, is this is exceedingly complicated right now. But that is the one thing that I think is completely unavoidable, because we're, we're already getting requests from all over the country on how do I write this in, how do I write that in, how do I defend this, how do I protect jobs from AI, how do I enable jobs with AI. And what's really, really complicated is the identical technology is being used for good and for evil. 
and this, you know, I, I, I wear a pocket knife. I've worn a pocket knife since I was eight years old. And I use that pocket knife to cut a string off my shoe or whatever. And could I do some evil with it? Sure, I could. But you step away from a few things like that. The reality is that we have very, very little in our world that is just so amazingly over here and all the way over here all at the same time. And that, that is going to be just the most entertaining part of 2024 for most of the folks I work with. Barry, you had a whole list. You could have gone on, but <laughs> what's one? Just one, fine. I, I, I had AI regulation as uh, mm -hmm. one of mine. Right now, the only regulation around AI is the same regulation that go governs the use of Facebook. I believe it's section 230 of the national code that um, was really drafted to protect kids from pornography, believe it or not. It's now the only thing that, that's being used to regulate AI. So government feels like it needs to do something, right? But we can't get out of our own way to do the regulation. And the recent White House executive order and the Virginia executive order from the governor's office are sort, sort of the opening salvo of this. Elon Musk, you know, went on record saying we need a referee. Big tech needs a referee for, for AI when they, when they testified before, before Congress, and that's fine. But as you pointed out the other day, you know, big tech um, is not great at policing themselves, right? They don't like regulation, and they don't do it very well themselves. So when big tech says we need to be regulated, that's when we should really take notice. Now, as you pointed out, Sean, the other day, they want regulation as long as it doesn't cost them money, right? So that, that bot that is helping your teenager is also capturing a great deal of information about your teenager that will then be monetized and sold to other advertisers and so forth. So we're gonna see a lot of regulation coming out of this. The US always lags Europe and the European Union when it comes to regulation. They did GDPR. America still doesn't have the equivalent of GDPR at the federal level. Um, you, Europe now has laws or rules about the handling of AI. We'll see that in the United States. It's going to be a big year for regulation and policy development. Okay. John. So I'm actually going to take uh, one of Barry's thoughts here, because when you say pick one, um, you know, it strikes me, we've, if you go back to the 2008 election uh, and then the 2016 election, each time uh, they were heralded as, you know, the Obama campaign was was making use of digital tools in a way that no one ever had and that that was key to their um, success in that election. Similarly, uh, with, with the Trump election in 2016, I think 2024 could be the year that, um, you know, truth has been under, um, under fire, sort of the question of whether truth is graspable, uh, whether there really are facts or whether there's just a range of opinions. Um, I, I'm thinking about an election where uh, we all know what can happen uh, when something gets released just a few weeks before an election, the type of effect that it can have on the outcome. I mean, thinking about the potential for AI to produce a level of misinformation that uh, in this political environment can convince a third to a half of the country that something that was produced by, by AI is actually real. Uh, the ability of that to then swing an election, uh, bring that into the, the Barry's comments around you know, the faith in the actual administration of the election system. I think this will be a, a, a big year for 
the, uh, the continued uh, trust and, and belief in, in, in truth. And that sounds philosophical, um, but I, I, think it's, I think it's real. Uh, and that's, that's an important battle I think you know, we all need to be a part of and, and need to be engaged in uh, because as the line between what is real and isn't real gets blurrier and blurrier, uh, we need some, some foundation that we can rely upon uh, to determine you know, what is true and, and what's not. It's, it's a, a big challenge, but uh, an incredibly important one probably in the next year. And John, you know, thinking about what you're saying, I look at what happened in Argentina in the last few weeks where it was shown that there was manipulation that helped sway minds that was very dramatic. So, you know, one thing that comes to mind, we really need to validate data. You know, to me, you know, AI just sits on top of data if the data isn't right. But now I'm getting concerned about Sean's comment about manipulation of the logarithms. You know, suddenly the data may be fine, which is sometimes questionable to begin with. And now suddenly the very code that instructs it, that gives us the outcomes, it's going to be a... I mean, it's all about verification and figuring out how do we validate whatever's coming out. Yeah. Jamie. Yeah. Well, um, I'm a pretty positive person, so I'm, I'm glad not. We're, I'm, glad we're started. <laughs> I'm glad we did it this way. <laughs> um, and I don't know if this has started already, but I'm going to say my, my one thing is we're going to start to see the death of email, which I've been really excited about for many years. Of course, you know, email is what runs a lot of our organizations and the work that happens. Um, but I'm really excited for this next iteration and, and maybe machines to do a little bit more work for us because sometimes I think we all feel we do the work for email. Email um, and and I, so I'm just going to go out there and say um, I would love to you know have a little uh, ritual for email when we're back here next year and uh, say sayonara. <laughs> I'm pulling for that one. I get my vote. I'm so glad we ended on a high note. I think everybody would be. You've been listening to another episode of SharkBites.net please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or simply go to sharkbites.net. And if you or someone you know has a story to tell, please let us know.